Hi there, we're the two Johns from EST eSafety Training. My name is John Staines and I am John Woodley. So here we find ourselves coming out of our third period of lockdown and things are starting hopefully to get back to normal in this uh, strange year we've just all experienced. Um, you know, hopefully children are getting back to school and things are going back to normal. But what's actually changed for our young people, John? I mean, a lot has. Okay, I want to pick you up there, John, because you're talking about going back to normal. And what you've just said is um, probably what we're hearing everywhere we go. Everyone is saying um, we can't wait to get back to normal. That is, we think, a very adult thing to say. What does normal mean to us? Well, I think normal means if you work in London... Over the last year, you might have had to adapt to COVID by actually holding online meetings. Some of you would have enjoyed that. Some of you might not enjoy that. But going back to normal in a large part will quite potentially mean you now going back to London. If you talk about law enforcement, they will talk about going back to normal. And if we're not careful, what that means is we'll go back to how things were 12 months ago. I know we'd all love to do that, but perhaps what we're forgetting is how the kids have adapted over the last year and what their normal looks like. So if we say to a young person um, that you're about to go back to normal, we honestly don't think that there's a going back. We think their normal has been redefined and it looks very different to what it did a year ago. And um, for example, what got us thinking about this was we were looking at a public event very, very recently with a set of professionals. And they were talking about um, gangs and the way that they influence children and the way that kids get exploited within gangs. And they were talking to you guys, the parents, about what to look out for. And what they were talking about was um, looking out for a new pair of trainers, looking out for them using a lot more taxis, looking out for them having more money to spend. And basically what they were talking about was the stuff that perhaps John and I were talking about in the police five years ago. No one mentioned anything to do with the online world. And if you think about the pair of trainers, the reason that kids would want a new pair of trainers is to show off to their friends. And that would be assuming that they're actually seeing their friends to show off the trainers. What's happened over the last year is it's become much more centred around games that they play. So, for example, if your kid is playing a low-level game, perhaps, like Roblox, and there's a game within that called Adopt Me... The currency in Adopt Me is called Robux, and kids use Robux to pay for pets within the game. Now, this is a virtual pet, but there's bragging rights attached to these pets. And the more in-game currency you spend, the cooler your pet. And then you'll hear kids chatting online about, oh, I've got this pet, or I've got that pet. Well, if you were exploiting them as a gang then rather than the trainers, the kid is going to be more fascinated by the pet that you offer them. The problem is that is a hidden commodity. So that means that the parent that is on top of all this stuff, perhaps talking to their kids and um, having a really good relationship with them, how much do we recognise about their online world? Would we know if they've got a really cool gaming account? Would we know if they've got the rarest pet within a game? Would we know that they've got the new skin in Call of Duty? And if the answer is no, then perhaps we need to be looking at that because that would in itself be a sign of abuse. So how, how would we get around that, John? How would we know? How would we look at it with our young people? Well, I know this sounds really unpalatable. I suppose it's easy for me as a gamer, but I think if you are letting your kid play a game, and I don't know how to say this, um, really it's a case of sitting down with them 
and taking time to play the game with them. I'm not saying that you need to play that game permanently. Of course I'm not. But what I am saying is just by playing with them for an hour, you'll achieve two things. Firstly, you'll start to get an idea about what is cool within the game and what people look up to. But also, it would be a bonding exercise between you and your young person. If your young person thinks you're interested in the game, then if they want to show something off in the game, and it's not saying weird, they're going to want to show off to you as the parent because they want to please you. So, for example, I let my son play Minecraft, and if he's suddenly got what they call a new Tetra Pack, then my son is excitedly telling me about this Tetra Pack. And I don't know how to say this. I'm not that impressed in it. But what I do know is I now know what impresses him. And if he had a new Tetra Pack and he's talking about it, the question should be, where did you get that? Because if you haven't given them money to spend in the game, that is a modern day sign of abuse. Yeah, I mean, that's really good, John. Something to look out for. But also, I mean, we've come across things, certainly in our professional stuff, where we talk to loads and loads of children about them using online apps to actually gain commodities and stuff like that. Well, that, that sort of work, well that's a bit of a problem because I think as parents, we control our kids' use of games. So if we're talking about young people, perhaps under 13, and if you set them up as the right age to play the biggest games at the minute for young people, so I'm thinking Minecraft, Roblox are two very good examples. So if you let them play them two games, but you create a game account for them, and say they're nine years old, then you set it up as a nine-year-old, both of them games, to look after our children, make it so they can't chat in the game. And as parents, we buy into that. We think, oh, wow, that game is doing a really great job keeping our kids safe. But we can't get away from the fact that all of the games are mass multiplayer. So if you think about this for a moment, if you're a nine-year-old playing a mass multiplayer game, like um, certainly Roblox, but by default you can't talk, then how do you actually communicate within that game? And parents would sit there and say, well, they can't communicate in the game. But we're saying you can't actually play most of the games without communicating. Like in Roblox, I think Adopt Me, which is all about adopting babies and pets and things like that, is absolutely player on player in, in that world. And how the kids are adapting to that and how they have adapted to that is they're basically using third-party chats. The most common one in primary school seems to be FaceTime because if a young person has got an Apple device, by default it's got FaceTime on it and if we're lucky, what they're doing is FaceTiming their best friend from school and then they're role-playing within the game. And personally, we think that is quite a positive situation. But if we're not on top of that, say they're role-playing with their friend from school, they go into a really cool building within the game and another player comes up to them and perhaps offers them a really cool in-game commodity, like some super cool pet that is the best in the game, the kid is going to be really impressed. They're going to be really excited. They probably want to talk about it as well with all their mates. But then they form a bond with the person that's given them the pet. They haven't communicated because they can't because it's turned off. But what happens next is that player that's given them the pet communicates through in-game features like for example in that game you've got a um, school you go into a classroom in the school and there's a whiteboard and children will tell you that you use the whiteboard to actually write and that is a way of getting around this communication issue but the problem is what they're sharing is their FaceTime 
ID. And then without having realised what's gone down, you've then got a child in a relationship with a stranger in the game. As we say, if that's their school friend, no problem. But all too often, it could be an abusive situation. I think also you've got Discord. We're really scared about this because talking to a big group of um, year three and four children this week, half of the class, and that was a lot of kids, knew all about Discord. On the same day, we spoke to a large group of parents, certainly about 60 or 70 parents, and only 8% of them had heard of Discord. And Discord, again, like FaceTime, is something kids use to chat to people in game. So it is about, as parents, upskilling ourselves, because if we're not careful, well, perhaps it's an Apple device, so we're really great. We've used the screen time function, which is brilliant. We put all restrictions in place, which is brilliant. And then we sit back with a cup of tea and relax, whereas actually we need to be open-minded about all of the bits that come into this because they all matter. Yeah, I think they adapt to everything, don't they, whatever they do. I mean, one I saw recently, and I know we put a post out, was Pop Jam. How would you communicate in Pop Jam? There's another well, one, isn't it? Well, that... Pop Jam is another one. Like Over the last year, loads of kids seem to have got into this, and it is a really innocent type app, which is sold as a kid's version of Instagram, if you like. And the safety feature within that, again, governs the chat function. So actually, you can't chat to strangers in Pop Jam. But what every kid has done is adapted. And the way they adapt is... You do artwork within um, that app. So you could create, I don't know, on a really basic level, you do a picture of a house and share it. That means you're drawing a picture of a house. But what the kids are doing straight away is using that sort of um, drawing pad as a way of chatting. And for instance, even my own daughter, the first day she had this, she wrote in a picture, can I get to a thousand followers? Now you couldn't type that in the game because it would be um, fanned out but you can put it in artwork. So again, it's being alive to all of this stuff. We might be in control of the settings around games and apps, and they're pretty sound, but the adaption is the issue. And your problem is your kid does not have to be a techie to work it out. All they need is young friends and YouTube. So if they go into a class of um, 28 young people, especially now that they're going back from lockdown, you can bet your life that at least two or three of them have got a workaround for most issues and they all talk to each other. And some of them will put that up online. So your kid, if they're sitting there thinking, oh, how do I chat in Pop Jam? How do you reckon they're going to work that out, guys? Because what they're going to do is literally go to YouTube and type in, how do I talk in Pop Jam? And I guarantee you, within a second, they've got a choice of 100 YouTube videos talking about how to get around it. So again, although we've adapted in many ways as adults through COVID, we've got to make sure that we don't take a one stop back to the past and take ourselves back to 12 months ago. Because if we do, we might forget that our kids have not only adapted they've developed their way of working online and that is permanent, okay? So when we use that term that John used at the beginning, which is go back to normal, I want us to really think about what normal looks like because normal to us as parents is not necessarily normal to a child. It has been redefined and we've got to be on top of that. So in summary, John, I mean, this goes back to our one message we give all the time. Parents have really got to start nurturing their children about this world, haven't they? Just to summarise, how would... How would we yeah. go forward? I mean, we, we talk about uh, 
analogy where we talk about a clifftop parent. And if you guys have heard us talking before, you might have heard this, but this is really important. We rather than say to your child, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And basically what you're doing is hanging on to their 13. And then you're saying at 13, you can have everything. Well, that is a bit like putting your arm around them, cuddling them and keeping them safe and every day walking forward with them, really. And then all of a sudden, once they're 13, you look above your head and there's a sign that says 13. And you go, oh, my job is done. And then you drop your kid off the cliff. Unfortunately, they hit the ground really hard, dust herself down and then go a little bit mad. And we're saying how much education and nurturing has gone into that kid about the online issues. You might conceivably have a kid uh, in year six at the moment, so about to go to big school, that's never been exposed to the online world beyond homeschooling. And we find that quite scary because not a lot of nurturing has gone into that kid. That same kid probably learned to swim at the age of three or four, did that parent just chuck them into a swimming pool and walk away when they were learning to ride a bike did that parent put them on a balance bike and then just walk away in fact at the moment in this transitional year did we suddenly kick the kid out the front door and expect them to walk to school on their own no what we did was we nurtured them we exposed them to a reasonable level of risk and basically educated them in stand safe so we would love parents to approach the online world in a very similar way Work out your starting point for your child. And it's like tying a rope around their waist and holding it tight to you. But over the years, you've got to be letting that rope out. And by the time they're 13, if you've got it right, what you're actually doing is lowering them off the cliff rather than chucking them off it. So, for example, in my house, I'll use that as an example. My five-year-old son, I let him go online and I'm like, oh, my word, would you really do that? Yes, I would, but... He's only allowed to go on kids' YouTube and only on the safest settings. And he's allowed to play Minecraft, but only on a realm that I subscribe to. So he can't talk to strangers. So basically, he can't really interact with anyone. That is me tying a rope around him and holding him tight. Go to my nine-year-old daughter, though. Obviously, I don't think it's appropriate to keep her with that degree of control. So I now let her play Roblox and she can play Adopt Me and she can use FaceTime to talk to her best friend while playing it. And that's how I've adapted on Kids YouTube. She's allowed to use Kids YouTube, but on the loosest setting. That means she can actually search for stuff. And if there's something that is only available on YouTube proper, she knows she can come to me and say, Dad, can I look at this? Because it's actually on normal YouTube. And then I review it and say, yes, you can. And um, I'm not saying I'm the best parent in the world, but what I'm saying is we need to nurture our kids to give them a chance to be safe by not exposing them to anything whatsoever and then suddenly expose them all at once. Personally, John and I don't think that is the best way forward, especially with the new so-called normal. That's great advice, John. Yeah, as I say, I was just going to pick up on that. So we might be going back to normal as adults, but our children certainly ain't going to be. So we've got to really start the journey again with them. Yeah, it is restarting, going forward, but remembering that the goalposts have changed. Our starting point now is the kids' new normal, not our old normal. Thanks for that, John. I'm John Staines. I'm John Woodley. We'll catch up again soon, guys. Bye. Bye.